0: You've probably seen the label stamped across Apple's iPhones and computers designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. That label is a testament to how much manufacturing of American products has moved overseas in recent decades. Even Apple, a symbol of American innovation, began manufacturing products in the US before moving those jobs to Asia a decade later. While polls show Americans want to see more products made in the US, there are several roadblocks to making that happen. What would it take to increase American manufacturing and what's stopping us from getting there? I'm Abra Al Hiti and this is your Daily Charge. I'm filling in for Roger today and I'm joined by Ian Schur, editor at large for CNET. Ian's story today on manufacturing by companies like Apple is the first in a series of stories CNET will publish in the coming weeks on made in America products and ideas. Welcome, Ian. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for being on. Um, Ian, a lot of Americans talk about how they want more products to be made in America, but the vast majority of the things we use are still reliant on overseas manufacturing. So why is it so hard to actually increase production within the U.S.?
1: You know, I, I thought that maybe this story would be pretty straightforward when I first started approaching it, uh, because it seems like, you know, this stuff is pretty obvious, right? Like labor costs are higher here in the States. OK, fine. Right. Regulations are different here. That plays a role as well. Sure. And of course, you know, there's the famous quote from Steve Jobs a long time ago. He said um, that in China, he's able to get like thousands of people onto a manufacturing line with the you know snap of a finger, whereas here in the States, it's hard to find people and all All of that stuff is true. But when I started digging into it, there's way more going on than that, right? And what it turned into is that it seems like there's this this virtuous cycle that hasn't kicked off correctly, where the ideal would be that you and I buy stuff that's American-made, right? Or at least some of the stuff we buy is American-made. And then what happens is that it creates demand, which causes companies to invest more in American manufacturing, which they output more stuff, which we buy, and the cycle continues. But it hasn't happened. Instead, everything's gone in reverse. And if we look between especially like 2000 to 2010, but then after that as well, there was a massive drop off in American manufacturing jobs. Really, partially because the companies decide, okay, we can shift jobs overseas, it'll be more profitable. But then it, it kind of hollowed out that virtuous cycle that we've been living in for a very long time. So now we're in this situation where it's kind of like, well, how do we jumpstart it? And nobody seems to have the exact right answer.
0: When a lot of those jobs, you mentioned the period where where a lot of these jobs left, where did they go? And what advantage do those countries have? Why, you know, over the US, how have those countries been able to hold on to their dominance in manufacturing?
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of them went to China, no surprise, right? I mean, that's that's kind of, they get called out in the story <laughs> at the top of it. Um, but, you know, they also went to a bunch of other, what you would call developing countries, right? And, you know, you can look at Vietnam, you can look at India. Um, in fact, Apple produces iPhones in India for the local market because of taxes and all that, uh, and uh, import taxes. So there's a lot of things that kind of have pushed uh stuff there. The thing that made China particularly interesting is that it invested really heavily in manufacturing technology over the last few decades. So while we have been hollowing out our manufacturing base, they have actually been investing heavily into it. And so they're able to produce stuff much better than we are at a much faster clip and much more reliably, all because they've put all of this investment in, right? And they have that virtuous cycle working for them. So part Part of what we're in this position of now is that, you know, all of those countries have kind of a lead on us where we're going to have to invest heavily to catch up, just to catch up before we can even take over, which is part of the hard part that's keeping this from happening, I think.
0: I think what's interesting to look at here and what you explore in your story is the fact that a lot of these with a lot of these jobs leaving the U.S., it kind of happens as the digital age, you know, really starts to take over and our lives become more tech driven, right? So how has technological innovation changed how and where things are made? What impact has that had on that?
1: I think that it made it much more complex, right? It used to be, you know, if if you talk to people who are in manufacturing, I spoke with, you know, a number of manufacturers who've been like in this industry for decades, right? And they would tell me about how, you know, there were companies that were started down the road in a certain, you know, city or state, and, you know, they literally were making their cookware there, right? Or, you know, they would take their metal and, you know, be be able to take the steel from Pennsylvania and, you know, make it into a a bunch of knives and forks and spoons really easily here, Um, when it comes to technology, that is a whole different Ball game because that stuff is so complex. In fact, there are different countries throughout the world that specialize in making different technologies. We learned this particularly when there have been natural disasters that have happened. For example, an earthquake in Taiwan, or uh, there was a um, there was a a huge disaster in Indonesia in 2004. And as the result of all of that, we suddenly saw disruptions to the supply chain that nobody really saw coming. Where suddenly you couldn't get hard drives, right? But you could get other stuff, or you couldn't get RAM modules, but you could get other stuff. And so that is part of why technology is particularly interesting here is because its complexity and the, you know, all of these different parts coming together into one place and being turned into this magical device in our pockets, that that all takes a huge amount of effort. It doesn't happen by accident or even just because someone wants it to. It took a long time to set that up, which is also why it's going to take a long time to unwind it on any level if we ever want to.
0: Let's go back to Apple, because that's the company that really takes center stage in your piece. So you start your story talking about how Apple tried to manufacture its original Mac computers in the U.S., but couldn't maintain that and eventually moved those jobs to Asia. So tell us about that shift and what led to it and where things stand with Apple now.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was really fascinating. I hadn't actually seen this video until I started looking into the story. And having covered Apple for more than a decade... I thought I'd seen every video they had to offer, <laughs> so it was interesting to see something new. Uh, but what was really interesting about it, um, if you go to CNET, we have a link, of course, to it, uh, is that you know th- the video actually shows what the manufacturing lines in Fremont, California. Steve Jobs had set up these manufacturing lines for the original Macintoshes there, and they're—I mean—they're—they're I mean, they're, they're pretty cool, right? They look like a manufacturing line. But what's interesting is that um, there's this amazing story the New York Times did a while back about. Why it failed, and a lot of it came down to, uh, you know, Steve Jobs wanted to prove that the American manufacturing world could be as efficient and successful as Japanese counterparts back then, right? It wasn't China that was the that was our manufacturing, uh, uh, you know, we were up against back then. It was Japan. And what's interesting is, of course, we failed at that. In fact, in the video, um, they even say at the end of the video, it took 36 hours to make a computer from scratch to end. And that is an insane amount of time, uh, especially when you think about how many computers they have to pump out these days. And so I think that is ultimately what ended up Causing Apple to sh- to shutter the menu the factory was that we just couldn't produce at the level that the competitors overseas could. Right, and and unfortunately, even though we've gotten to a point now where some of that might be changing, and even Apple is producing some stuff in the states it's really only their Mac Pro, which is one of their lowest volume products. So in a way, they're even telling us out in the open and in our faces that we're not ready to take on the most important product Apple makes.
0: Has the American government done anything recently to try to increase manufacturing in the US?
1: Yeah, so President Biden has done a couple of things. Every president, Pretty much, I can think of for going back forever has tried to kind of support the American manufacturing base because they know uh, that it is incredibly important. Particularly if you think about wartime and national security, like if we can't build the stuff we need, even if all of our uh, all of our uh, all the other countries in the world turn their backs on us, we're going to be in real trouble. So he actually has started pushing this buy American thing. So there's a there's an executive order. And it's been around for a long time where you know essentially the federal government when it buys something it's supposed to look for an american version first right if you can buy you know utensils from an american manufacturer instead of from overseas do that even if it's a little more money and but what unfortunately happened is that over the years, it turns out that uh, various you know, administrations and all this other stuff would create these loopholes <laughs> so that companies didn't have to be made in America, quote unquote, to be able to sell uh, to the federal government, even despite this rule. So uh, Biden reass- reasserted a lot of these rules um, when he first came into office. And then he most recently has also hired someone to be kind of a czar of American manufacturing within the federal Government, uh, part of the Office of Management and Budget, so she's going to be focused on that, and she's a former labor, uh, you know, labor lawyer and expert, so that's going to be interesting. And I think more than anything, also he increased the mandatory amount of what defines a made-in-America product here for the federal government. Uh, Right now, it's about 50% of the product has to be made in America. So in theory, half of it could come from anywhere else. Um, And in fact, if you look on the back of like a lot of your American-made products, like the hand cream I use for my chap knuckles, say it was made in America from local and international products. So even the hand cream I use is not... Fully American. Um, But he increased that to 55% recently. And in fact, it's going to go up to 75% uh, at some point. So he's trying to push at least the federal government's trillions of dollars in spending to try and maybe kickstart this a little bit.
0: The other thing that's interesting to explore here is the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had. So you know, we had a lot of international supply shortages. So did those shortages impact people's desire or need to purchase American-made products?
1: So it seems to have, right? I mean, everything is still very early on. But there are some data points that show that people were really willing to at least consider American-made stuff, if not because it was convenient, um, but also because a lot of the American-made stuff now is premium, right, because that's really the only place they've been able to compete. So I spoke with a couple of manufacturers of, for example, hair clippers, uh, you know, even the motors inside they make here in the States. Um, or also uh, you know, a company that makes the those spoons and knives and forks I was talking about. And they say that sales have gone through the roof during the pandemic. Now, it all makes sense, right? People needed to cut their hair at home, so you need clippers. And also people were eating at home more, so you know, they need utensils. That all made sense. But I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not. But there's also these other trends that we were discussing, right, the buy local and the idea of, you know, how do we help out the American manufacturing base, whether or not that catches on a little more and causes this uh, virtuous cycle to kick off.
0: This will be very interesting to follow. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our coverage on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge, or sign up for direct text messages from Roger by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Abra Alhiti. Thanks for listening.